Coming up, the Brooklyn Nets drop their fourth straight, this time at the hands of the Portland Trailblazers. We break down the key sequences that mattered most and if the downward spiral for the Nets has any end in sight. All coming up next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. I am Adam Armbridge, breaking down the New York football giants on the One Giant Podcast and your New Jersey Devils on the Devils Puck Luck Podcast. We thank you for making us your first listen of the day. We are 100% free on all those great platforms. And let you know today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use promo code Locked On for $20 off your first purchase. And where we dive in, is a familiar theme for this Brooklyn Nets roster. A loss, 105-103 to the Portland Trailblazers on the road, a 20-point fourth quarter that marked the lowest scoring quarter of the game for the Brooklyn Nets. Incidentally, it coincided with the highest scoring quarter for the Portland Trailblazers, 31. We're going to back it up and talk about some other key moments here along the way. Uh, Obviously, Mikhail Bridges had the injury that sidelined him for an extended period of time, did come back in, did play the fourth quarter. The Iron Man for the Brooklyn Nets continues to, to fight his way through some of these minor injuries along the way. But it felt like in a game, we're at the 148 mark of the fourth quarter, we're having a conversation that we've had before. Late game, Brooklyn has the lead and a chance to close things out. And just playing in a tight game in general, right? An opportunity to win a basketball game that you are clearly in. So 148 mark, it was the uh, Malcolm Brogdon shooting foul on Spencer Dinwiddie. He makes both his free throws. It's 101 to 97, a four-point lead with a minute 48 to go. Now, Brogdon uh, knocks down his free throws the other end when Mikhail Bridges picks up the shooting foul. And from there, it's basically the end. <laughs> It's effectively the end of the game for the Brooklyn Nets because it's 101-99. It's followed up by an Anthony Simons 16-foot jump shot. And then going the other way, it's Mikhail Bridges driving, missing the layup. You come back down. It gets capped off to a 105-103 lead after the Nets did come back and tie it because the timeout sequence with five seconds left to go. There's a couple of back and forths here, right? The Jeremy Grant um, little little tip shot that goes in off the rebound, 103-101. Timeout for the Brooklyn Nets. They come back in. It's a good out-of-bounds play. It gets Cameron Johnson there just above the just above the foul line. He goes ahead and takes his man off the dribble, drives at the basket, gets the finish. He's looking maybe for an and one foul. There didn't look like there was anything there of significance. Goes back the other way. Simons makes the driving floater going at the basket, 105-103. And the Nets effectively never really get a quality sequence there at the end of this one. 105-103 is your final. And again, a four-point lead with under two minutes left to go. It just, maybe it felt like at a minimum, We were talking about going to overtime for the second consecutive meeting with the Portland Trailblazers. We know that didn't go their way the first time around for Brooklyn, but you didn't even get to that place. And it just, again, at a high level, speaks to where this team is at right now. We're going to get into Spencer Dinwiddie and his performance and and maybe what it means in totality. Going to get into Nicholas Claxton, a tale of two halves for him, certainly, and some other things that we take away from this game. But as we continue our way towards that, that trade deadline, trying to get to a point 
where you feel like this team is just maybe a, a, a moment away, an instance away from really turning it on. And there's the trade speculation, as we talked about with DeJounte Murray and the Atlanta Hawks. But this just feels like the theme of this team. This is arguably one of their better games in, in recent memory, which isn't saying a lot or a little. It just is what it is. They were competitive, right? They're down by one after the first quarter. They're up by one going to the break. They have an explosive third quarter where it starts out ugly and then they surge back. They were down 67 to 60 in the third quarter and then flipped that to a 79-72 lead and then continued to carry it towards the end of the third and into the fourth. So you have these moments where everything starts to click, where the shots start to fall where the defense looks good, where the turnovers are getting forced, where the transition game is working, right? But instead, the Brooklyn Nets go to the fourth quarter of this game up nine, 83 to 74 against a bad Portland Trailblazers team. They're 11 and 29, including this win now. So there's just something to the fact that there is no version of this team currently where they can go build a lead and hold a lead, where they can go come back take the lead and get the win. It, it just feels like Murphy's law here. Whatever can happen. It just feels like whatever can go wrong will go wrong for this team. Even in games where you get some nice performances, even in a game where you finally see, as we'll talk about Spencer Dinwiddie reinvigorate himself and whether or not <laughs> that's indicative of anything that could be looming, but they're just not a, a in totality, good basketball team. And when you play some of the lesser teams in the league, like Portland, you got to find ways to get wins. Couldn't stop Jeremy Grant when it mattered most. Couldn't stop Brogdon for sequences when it mattered most. Couldn't stop Simons when it mattered most, right? When you look over and you see that you're getting a 30-point performance from Grant, you're getting 20 for Simons, Brogdon kicks in 16, Wreath at, at a certain point early in this game was being left far too wide open given what he's been able to do from beyond the arc only takes four shots knocks down two of them but it's just the reaction time and the adjustment time and then frankly just the one-on-one right closing sequence here with mikhail bridges where he's calling for the the assist defense from spencer dinwiddie but ultimately let simons blow right past him we got to talk about it at some point right defensive stopper that's one of your key characteristics and yet whether it is communication positioning nick claxton gets over late there as well trying to cover at the rim it's just when those plays need to get made the nets typically have not been able to make them so it's not surprising right 105 103 they fall 16 and 24 now and now also outside of the play in tournament positioning looking in We'll get into Mikhail Bridges, the injury, and just another concern that this, I think, brings up once again for the Brooklyn Nets. And then also Spencer Dinwiddie, the performance from him, the decision about rotations, again, topic of conversation, and how this continues to build a looming precipice as we work towards that trade deadline. We'll get into the rest of that conversation coming up in just one second. Before we do, though, got to tell you about our friends over at Prize picks. Yes, prize picks. With basketball season 
in full swing and heading towards the trade deadline. You can now pick combo projections across not only basketball, but also football. And you go underneath that special leagues tab to get all the great information. A league is created specifically for combo projections that include two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, take a little LeBron James, but you also want to add in oh, playoff football, Travis Kelsey at a 10 and a half combo three pointers made and receptions bricks for hands for Travis Kelsey might be a risk, but if you want to also play alongside some of prize picks, favorite players like rapper Meek Mills and comedian Andrew Schultz, well, you just go ahead and find the community plays under the promos tab of the app to view the entries from some of the biggest names in prize picks community each and every week. You know that it's a great time to get in on the action over at prize picks. And all you need to do is go ahead. Is do something. And all you need to do is head over to prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use promo code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use promo code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Prizepicks is daily fantasy sports made incredibly easy. And when you're done with that, head over to LinkedIn because. You know that it is a new year, a couple weeks in, and every small business is asking themselves the same question. What's the move that I can make to take my business to the next level in 2024? LinkedIn Jobs knows that your success all depends on the talent that you surround yourself with, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn is not just another job board. It has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Hiring is easy when you have that many qualified candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn is also knows that the small businesses are wearing so many different hats that they might not have the time to find the resources and get that quality higher. Thankfully, with LinkedIn, the process is intuitive, quick, and easy. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. So as we continue the conversation, post-game coverage for the 105-103 loss on the road for the Brooklyn Nets at the hand of the Portland Trailblazers. The other side of this, obviously, is the rotation conversation. We come right back in with that exact same starting lineup of uh, Mikhail Bridges, Spencer Dinwiddie, Cam Johnson, Dorian Finney-Smith, Nicholas Claxton. Now, Doug and I had previously talked about how the different closing lineups that Jock Vaughn has tried out, getting Cam Thomas mixed in there, Dennis Smith Jr., and saying, hey, at what point do we make this shift? And I think Doug accurately pointed out, when you get one of those wins, using some of these different combinations, then it, it justifies making the changeover. Now, the fact that this team isn't winning any games at all right now should be enough to justify making that type of move. But they stick with it. It's a tough assignment in this one for Dorian Finney-Smith uh, going up against Jeremy Grant for extended amounts of time, 32 minutes for him. You talk about across the starting lineup, again, that little nugget that Cameron Johnson, who did have the layup bucket that tied the game late in this one, only played 27 minutes again, whether it's the hamstring, whether it's just the minutes that he's capable of playing. He always seems to be on the outside looking in when it comes to playing 30 plus minutes inside of that starting rotation. 
usual suspects coming in off the bench. It was Lonnie Walker in this game in his 19 minutes, five of 10, three of seven from deep, gave you 13 points. But oh, by the way, that was 13 points in the first half of this game because it was him and Mikhail Bridges who combined for 28 first half points and you needed somebody else to step up. Now, now thankfully, other guys did, right? 13 points isn't enough from Johnson. Spencer Dinwiddie will talk about. He ends up giving you 19. But this was kind of that scenario where you say, who's going to be the third player to step into that role for Brooklyn? And they end up kind of getting it from a couple of different places. As I mentioned before, though, you flip the script. When you had Simons and Grant combining for 50, and then you also get Reith, you also get Brogdon, and they go ahead and kick in a quality 33 points for you. Like It's just... The Nets did not have the scoring power here, and we've seen time and time again switching defenses, playing a little more aggressively, working the passing lanes, getting easy turnovers, getting in transition. Those things have worked for the Brooklyn Nets, but they just haven't worked for an entire game. That's really been the Achilles heel of this team. They cannot put together a quality game wire to wire on both ends of the floor with consistency. Teams both shot effectively 48 and 49% from the field. Brooklyn outshot Portland from beyond the arc as well. Took 11 more shots from beyond the arc, 15 of 38, 39%, just 33 for Portland. So that feels like an issue in and of itself because when you're finally firing from the outside, it should be an opportunity to win coupled with struggles for the opposition. But instead it ends up being losing the points in the paint battle, 50 to 40. You're talking about losing in the, um, uh, excuse me, losing in the turnover category, 11 to 13. The Nets win that one, but they also win the steals category with nine to two. They also get the blocks three to two. They also have the assists. So you know, sharing is caring 28 to 21. They lose the overall rebound battle is what it, one I meant to bring up there. 41 to 33. And this seemed to have an ebb and flow to it. But in the second half of this game, a couple of key sequences, a couple of extended uh, possessions, second chance opportunities for Portland also made it difficult for Brooklyn to get the key stops when they needed the most. The other thing here that we can't go without acknowledging is that Mikhail Bridges does go out in this game, comes back in. Now he takes the uh, Walker knee to his shin and any time, as everyone will tell you, when you see Mikhail Bridges get to the place where, it, where he labors to get up, where he labors to get up to his feet. And even if he's going to leave the court for a couple of sequences, it obviously was a big enough knock that there was a bit of an issue there. Now he goes over, sits on the bench, gets talked to by trainers, gets onto the bike, pedals it out, and comes back into the game. He struggled with his shot when he came back in as well. So maybe without the injury, without leaving the court, this game looks a little bit different because it was overall a strong performance for Mikhail inside of this game. 34 minutes, 7 of 18 from the field, just 3 of 9 from beyond the arc, got to the line 6 times, gave you the 4 rebounds, the 4 assists, the 21 points. Maybe it could have been 25, right? Something along those lines if he doesn't have to leave for a handful of sequences. We're maybe talking about Mikhail playing 38 minutes in this game as opposed to 34. But in the end, at a high level, as we know, the trade deadline is coming here and we're hearing buzzes about, well, maybe the Nets are going to move some of the veterans. Maybe they're going to go try to get a, a guy like DeJounte Murray. Will the price be too high? We'll continue to cover that. But the injury, the momentary injury to Mikhail Bridges is also that reminder about, you know, everyone says he's an Iron Man. He plays every single game. Of course he does. And Doug and I have said this until he doesn't, right? He plays every single game until he doesn't play every single game. And if you think about a player that has not missed any time, that has always been, you've always been able to go to him. He's had his lulls. He's had his shooting slumps. He's had his struggles. 
But if you took McHale off the court for five to seven games, I, I mean, they're already losing every game anyway. So I, how much worse could it look? Well, maybe you lose games by 15 to 20 points. Now, on the one hand, you'd say, yeah, that's why you want to go add another player into this conversation and, and try to improve the core of what this team can look like over the next few years. Or you go the other way and say that, you know, Cameron Johnson has been available of late. Mikhail Bridges has been available, right? You've gotten Dennis Smith Jr. back. You have Spencer Dinwiddie. You have Dorian Finney-Smith, who has not had any injury concerns. Royce O'Neal, who hasn't had any injury concerns. Cam Thomas, who had his one injury stint, but has come back and has been healthy. Nick Claxton, right? No Damon Sharp right now. He would have been a nice factor inside of this game, too, we would like to think. So, yes, you've dealt with the injuries here and there. But in totality, you, you've had a pretty healthy season from some of the guys that matter most, right? Dorian Finney-Smith falls in that category. Nicholas Claxton falls in the category. Mikhail Bridges falls into that category. Spencer Dimity as well. They've all had some small instances. But by and large, you've been healthy and you've still been doing a ton of losing. So I, I, I just think that it should be informative that whatever choices you're going to make here, you have to have a high-level view. No Dayron Sharp in this game, fine. But you had all the key figures that you wanted on the court in this game. And you had Cam Thomas on this game for the late game sequence. And, and this was one of those games we'll talk about in a second where maybe playing or not playing Cam Thomas late in this game based on Spencer Dinwiddie's performance in the second half, based on their inability to really function at a high level together. Maybe you can justify that. But then you also have the coaching decisions, not in this game unto itself, but in totality. So all these things are swirling around this team right now while they continue to lose basketball games. So I, I just don't know how you can paint a narrative where they're just a move away from starting to get back onto their winning ways. Yes, they've lost some close games. But at the end of the day, when we look back, these losses are losses. It's not, well, it was a loss, but if. It's a loss. And the team is now 16-24 and 24 and on the outside of the playoff picture looking in. Coming up here in a second, let's talk about Spencer Dinwiddie. He has a bounce back performance. What is this inspired by? And does it inform us about why certain decisions might be getting made from a rotation standpoint ahead of the trade deadline? We'll get into that as we close out today's episode of the Locked on Nets podcast. Before we do, though, got to tell you about our friends over at Game Time. Oh, you should not have to worry about buying tickets when you want to get to your next big event. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. With last-minute deals, killer last-minute deals, by the way, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, Game Time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. What are the, some of the things that you think about when you get over to Game Time? For me personally, I like being able to see exactly where I'm going to be, especially when it comes to comedy shows. I'm going to be going to see Mark Marin in a couple of months, and I want to know, obstructed view, am I going to maybe be off too far to the right, not get a great view of the stage? That's one of the features that I absolutely love about game time. And you know that obviously it's easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area and the lowest price guarantee event cancellation protection and job loss protection are all features that I love about game time. That is why all you need to do is take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time, download the game time app, create an account and use promo code locked on for $20 off your first purchase terms apply again, create an account, and redeem code locked on L O C K E D O N for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. 
So as we close out today's episode of the Locked On Nets podcast, we remind you that there will not be a game until Saturday, uh, Sunday, excuse me, Friday night. I don't know. There's a game coming up here. I'm all out of whack. We will not be doing the post game on Friday night is what I will tell you because it's a West Coast game. And so we're not going to keep ourselves up late for the 1030 start. They do have a Sunday afternoon game, though, that we will be in for. And tomorrow, Friday's episode is a little trip down the what if trade scenario lane. Matt George from Lockdown Kings reached out to me last week and he asked the question, hey, is there ever a world where a trade package for Mikhail Bridges would entice the Brooklyn Nets? Now, on its surface, no, the Nets are not trading Mikhail Bridges. But if we put on the theoretical, you know, making a bold move scenario, I did find it an interesting exercise. How many picks are the Kings offering? What are the players? Is a guy like Keegan Murray going to be the breaking point? And can you look at it from a Nets perspective and say, if the Nets keep losing to the deadline, would tearing this thing totally down and just amassing as many picks, even if not your own, as many picks as possible, be worth it or a palatable scenario? It's a fun exercise. It's a little step outside of where the current narratives are. So be sure to check that out coming up on Friday. The other thing we'll talk about, though, is one Spencer Dinwiddie. So we said, and Doug highlighted this last uh, episode about the struggles of one Spencer Dinwiddie of late. It has not been great for him. The recent track record has painted a picture of a player who has struggled mightily. We mean a guy that played 20 minutes against Miami and shot 17% from the field. A guy that played 16 minutes against Cleveland and shot 33% from the field and only took three attempts in that game, by the way, and only had four combined assists in those two games. Now, you back it out earlier in the month of January. You get the good performance against OKC. 33 uh, minutes gave you a 23-point performance. Had four assists in that game as well. The first four games of the month from an assist standpoint were good. Five and five, basically averaging five, excuse me, per game. However, the shooting has been fairly atrocious. And even though he's been ceremoniously put into the starting lineup, we've seen him go away from him, Jock Vaughn, in the closing sequences. Now, against Portland, This was an opportunity where I think it made sense. Now, he starts out struggling. He had five assists in the first half, wasn't exactly giving you anything from a scoring production standpoint. But over the course of the second half, he turns it on. He hits a clutch three in the fourth quarter, (coughs) excuse me, to put the Nets in a good position to theoretically get the win. It doesn't pan out. 32 minutes, five of eight, three of four from downtown, gets to the line seven times, knocks down six of those, seven assists, a steal, right? Got that little breakout one that gave him the easy flush and 19 points. And this is the case that you can make where you go back inside of this game and you say, and they did bring in Cam Thomas when you're down two to have as many three-point shooters on the floor. But you're okay to say, again, because these guys don't necessarily function well together, we're going to ride the proverbial hot hand here. You finally get a good performance from Spencer Dinwiddie, and it might be your best chance to try to get yourself the win. So he plays 32 minutes, and Thomas gives you 22. Quiet shooting night, but but I will I will highlight four assists. Like four assists does matter for Cam Thomas. Now, eight points, that's not the kind of balance we're looking for here, but it does matter that you see that little bit of growth from him. Moreover, with some of the speculation right now, when it comes to the DeJounte Murray trade sweepstakes that a lot of teams could be getting involved in, we know that Spencer Dinwiddie would want to be one of those key figures because not only does he make the 20 million an expiring deal, but also because he does theoretically give back something to Atlanta to have there with Trey Young, right? 
Let's put him in the off-ball two-guard spot. Let's know that he can do some ball handling. He can do some perimeter shooting. And I wonder if, if we want to give some credit to the Brooklyn Nets organization, whether or not we're ready to see the Dennis Smith Jr., Cam Thomas backcourt or any other different combination from a starting lineup standpoint, they're trying, and Spencer Dinwiddie has been struggling, to put the trade assets on display here. Let's give every opportunity for Spencer Dinwiddie to come out of this funk because we've got now 10 games ahead of the trade deadline. And I tell you what, it's low value on, on guards when it comes to the trade market, unless you're talking about the elite players and Spencer Dinwiddie does not fit that category. But you, you, you need him to be playing well, right? You need a good sample size that says, hey, you put us behind your star, right? You go back to think about those Luka Dallas days in the last couple of seasons. That's the kind of player that Spencer Dinwiddie can still be for your team. You have to try to maximize that. And I don't know, in terms of trade market, how much elevation or, or diminishment you get from, you know, from a recency bias of, well, he hasn't been playing well right now. Dorian Finney-Smith had his best run of games early in the season, still been a very good player, still shooting good percentages. But you'd say, hey, man, if you could have played those first 10 games when Cam Thomas, uh, Cam Johnson, excuse me, was out and Dorian Finney-Smith was filling in, Doug said at the time, trade him now. Trade him now when it looks like this dude might have an elite season coming for him. You've also heard that the Nets are still putting the equivalent of two first-round picks on Dorian Finney-Smith in a trade. So indicative that they don't want to move him, maybe, right? Or just that they know that he has 3 and D value. That last night's game, having to pick up the Jeremy Grant assignment wasn't great for, for Dorian Finney-Smith. And you're going to have some struggles in that category. But I just do think if we want to start to have that conversation going up to the February 8th deadline where the Nets will play uh, Cleveland that night, so that will be after the deadline passes, uh, we are sitting right now, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games. Ten games left to go. And while playing the Lakers and the Clippers and the Knicks and the Timberwolves and playing the Rockets and the Jazz who are playing better basketball and the Phoenix Suns and the 76ers, right? Golden State Warriors, Dallas. This run is brutal. And it does actually, you know, crystallize, by the way, these recent games. Whatever you think about the state of this team, what they should do at the deadline or not, if the, <laughs> the trying to avoid being bad because you don't own your own picks has gone off the rails because they're losing the games that they are. Remember, you are talking about an overtime loss. If you back this up here, an overtime loss to Portland on January 7th, you lose to Cleveland, you lose to Miami in overtime again. <clears throat> Excuse me one more time. Sorry, under the weather. And then you lose to Portland again. Now, is this going to dramatically change how you feel about this team overall? No. But if you win the two Portland games, which you feel like are very winnable games, well, then you're 18 and 22. And while, again, in totality, it might not change anything, it does perceptually. It would tell you a story of a team that as you look inside the standings and you think about, yes, the Brooklyn Nets are now the 11th seed at 18 and 22, uh, 16 and 24, but at 18 and 22, they're actually still the 10th seed. They're still ahead of the Atlanta Hawks. And I know that like these are margin moves and going and making a trade for a player that you want to bring in that you think has value beyond the short term, beyond this season. You don't want to be influenced by a couple of losses here or there. You can look at these last four games and say, well, if you have a DeJounte Murray, maybe you win three out of four of those games. I, I can hear that too, but it just doesn't help, man. They are one in nine over their last 10 games. 
They have three wins over their last 17 games. That is indicative of a team that has bigger issues than just one, any one thing. And I keep always coming back to, this is a roster that was put together by trades, not intentionally built. And I think that there's issues there. And I think that you're seeing them grow. So going and making a move that maybe helps you feel like the pieces fit better, I'm all for that. And that's why I think we're still seeing a display of some of these veteran players and having Spencer Dinwiddie cap off a good game really matters. That being the case, the Brooklyn Nets are 16 and 24. They are now outside of the play-in picture. And with that stretch of games coming up, I got to tell you, now Toronto also moved Pascal Siakam finally to the Pacers. So, you know, who, how are these teams looking in behind them? One and nine is also the Charlotte Hornets and they're only an eight win team. You know, are the Nets going to fall below the 12th spot in the East? Probably not with the way those last three teams look, but it's going to get ugly. And those picks that they don't own that Houston controls now are very attractive. So I, I just don't know how the Nets are going to be informed going towards the deadline in, in the micro of maximizing value of veterans that aren't going to be here long-term, but in the macro, is this just not as good a team, even on the close to 500 play in tournament level that we thought we had coming in? Because if that's the case, it does need to inform the type of commitments you're willing to make with your draft capital, with maybe some of your young talent and the trade scenarios that play themselves out. That said, we will be back in uh, tomorrow with the crossover episode with Matt George from Locked on Kings talking about the completely hypothetical, unreported, unsubstantiated, but still fun conversation about teams calling the Brooklyn Nets and saying, hey, I know you don't want to, but what if you traded Mikhail Bridges? Fun conversation to have. Then we'll have the Sunday afternoon game and we'll effectively wrap up the Friday night and Sunday game back to back with the L.A. teams, Lakers and Clippers. In the meantime, you get over to YouTube, obviously, so you know when we're going live for our post game on Sunday. You hit that subscribe button, turn on the alerts. You also, as Doug always says, go over to the podcast feed, subscribe, tell your friends, leave a five-star review. Is it a little old hat? Sure it is, but five-star review, not four stars. Five-star review always really helps us, always greatly appreciate it, and help continue our journey to 7,000 subscribers on YouTube as well. Now, when there is no Doug Norrie, as always, there is no quote. Short of saying that I miss my friend and I can't wait till he's back so we can keep talking all things Brooklyn Nets basketball, basketball, basketball.